Congratulations, guys. Well done. Is it just me, or is she just really easy on the eyes, my wife? Oh, my goodness. You're visiting like, what did he just say? It's like, it's my wife. It's okay. It's in the Bible. Um, good morning, Freedom Center. And good morning, Freedom Center, wherever you are. Pontotoc, Mississippi, Grand Blanc. I understand we have a campus now in Jacksonville, Florida, um, which is not true, but one of our deacons has a business down there, and he takes half the church with him when he goes. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. First, he becomes an Ohio State fan. Then he hires all my friends, then moves them to Florida. But it's not a problem. Everybody's okay, right? So, and online and live stream and radio audience and Facebook and I don't know where we are. Good stuff. Glad that we're out there. Um, I just, would it be okay with you if I took a few minutes to talk about the Supreme Court rulings of the last week? Is that okay? All right. Remember, those of you who said yes, you asked me to. Um, it's an interesting thing, the way that, that our founding fathers figured out a way to kind of help uh, our country make changes and adjustments. There are two major ways that a, a judge would look at um, the Constitution. One is known as a constitutional conservative. In other words, they believe that the Constitution constitutes or the statutes or the statue, this immovable, I'm sorry, not immovable, but hardly movable um, object that, that it was right from the very beginning, and so they conserve that. That's a constitutional conservative. On the other side of the legal spectrum would be the constitutional liberal, those who would say, we see the, the Constitution as a living document, and whereas it, it can be changed through great effort, through amendments and so forth by the conservative, it can be changed as culture changes. Both of them have certain legitimacies, and both of them have certain challenges. Would you agree with that so far? The, the constitutional conservatives now um, have a majority or what's known as a supermajority on the Supreme Court. Be very careful in your thinking and your praying, but it's specifically amongst believers, your communication in front of unbelievers. I, we've been through this for two years now. I think we should know by now we can do certain things very well and we can do certain things very poorly. In the end, what's important, uh, and there's many things that are important, is that we understand that we represent Jesus with our words, with our actions, and with a lot of other things. What has happened now is that abortion, Roe versus Wade, has been overturned. It's not the first time it's been overturned. Casey overturned a lot of, of Roe versus Wade and, and expanded some abortion rights and, and got rid of some abortion rights and I, all that kind of stuff. Look it up if you're interested in it. But what's happened now is the federal court, with a conservative majority of judges, remember conserving the Constitution, looked at Roe versus Wade and Casey, looked at the Constitution and said the Constitution, in our opinion, does not grant the right to an abortion or not an abortion. It's not a federal issue. So the Constitution, in their opinion, is that they're, they're, we don't, that's not something we should decide on. That is up to the states to decide. And so it will be coming back to us in some form of legislation or some sort of uh, executive order, or and we're going to try to figure it out, I assume, as a, the state of Michigan. But eventually, I think we can all see that there will be a vote, and that is when we get to have our final say on the issue. Does this make sense? So it isn't time to panic for or against. It isn't time to celebrate for or against. Why? Because it's not over with yet. The question that the, that the federal courts through Roe versus Wade and Casey decided have been overturned, and now the states, Michigan will be tasked with deciding that. There will be legislature. I'm sure there will be campaign after campaign after campaign to try to get you to do your vote. I promise you this, that when the time comes for us to cast a vote, we as a congregation either through this platform or through some form of online teaching, I will prepare you so that you have a biblical reference when it comes to this issue. I'm a pastor, not a politician, not a judge, not a lawyer, 
Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I can appreciate the limitations of my position, but please appreciate the responsibility of my role in this community and in this congregation. So when the time comes, I will teach on that. So we, we are all about rights, right? And we have rights that, that are you know, fought for by the left uh, of, of social issues. We have rights that are fought for by the right of social issues. My concern is not the left or the right. It's what is right. And what is right will be declared without fear, without prejudice, um, from this platform and from my staff to all ages because this is one of those once-in-a-lifetime decisions that's going to affect a lot of people and the last thing I want is impassioned, inflamed, and forgive me, but unknowing or ignorant people talking on social media in front of unbelievers fighting with other Christians. Somebody say amen. So you can have any opinion you want. I'm, I'm not telling you what to say, what not to say. The First Amendment of the Constitution says you can say just about anything in our society and get away with it. But I would also say this, remember just because you can do something doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. And so if you would, would study both scripture and law, if you would form an intelligent, well-informed and, and an opinion that you can stand before God with it, then, then you have the right to exercise that. What you don't have the right to do is to, to blackmail, to manipulate, to, right? So I know exactly where I stand on this, and, and again, when the time comes, we'll talk about it. But my opinion does not come from a conservative view of the Constitution or a liberal view of the Constitution. It comes from a literal view of Scripture. My opinion is that God knows what he's talking about. And if we do what he tells us to do, then we walk in something called obedience. And God blesses obedience in a way that he cannot bless disobedience. God's grace is often on acts of disobedience. Anybody experience the grace of God? But God's blessing is only upon that which he has ordained. And so when the time comes, we'll talk more about it. In the meantime, do me a favor. Pray, study, think. But, but maybe it's not time to get out the thumbs and, and voice a strong opinion before you've done those things. Can I just caution you on that? We as believers should be light and salt, not noise and wind. On both sides of the issue. So, God bless you. Thank you for hearing that. Now, if the ushers will come forward, we're going to receive a second offering, just if you believe that or not. You know. So, so this summer, guys, we're talking about something, and we're going to spend a few minutes today talking about this. We're calling it a city on a hill, and it really comes back to what we're talking about today. We're going out in the community, and we're, we're learning in here how to go out there and to share our faith in Jesus with others through our words and our actions. Now, some people say, well, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> and we went through Exodus chapter three two weeks ago. Pastor Jason did a wonderful job on Father's Day last week. Did he not do a great job? And two weeks before, someone else gave a, a, a try. And Exodus chapter three is where we camped out, where Moses said, hey, I, what if he asks a question? I don't know the answer. What if, what, if, what if they think I'm nuts? What if they say, God didn't appear to you? And we went through all the kind of common thoughts when God speaks to people, what happens next is often uncomfortable. Like, I, you want me to do something I can't do. Let me, let me just please hear me. God's always going to ask us to do stuff we can't do. Because in our lack, his abundance gets to show up and his glory is revealed. So just because I don't know how to do it, like, okay, he knows how to. But I don't know what to say. He knows what to say. But I don't have the power to do this. Trust me, he's got more than enough power for both him and you to get through the day. Right? So you say it's been scary, but how many guys have been, by a show of hands, how many guys have been to a Thursday night? Let me see your hand. Okay. So a handful, I mean, we got groups going on, youth crew. But understand this, about 25% about of the room said, I've been to a Thursday night. And I'll bet every fear you had was comforted by the time you left. Why? Because we're handing out ice cream to people. So, well, nobody got saved. Yes, they did. Because the ice cream opened the door for a conversation about things deeper than ice cream. How many of you guys know if we're out there barking at people, screaming at people, and giving away kale, no one wants to talk to us. 
But if we're sweeter in our hearts than the ice cream in our hands, people tend to want to have a conversation. We built regatta boats for little kids. They sat there at the table. We said, Billy, high five. That's beautiful. That's, well, you did a great job. Then we dumped them off the bridge. They sank and they all cried. But it was a good idea. It was a good idea. And we got a lot of time with the kids and it was wonderful. We had Explore Camp where this room was like as full as it is now with little kids and their parents and hundreds. We had over a hundred four and five-year-olds. It didn't bother me at all that that was the case. It was, it, was, it was wonderful. And last week, my wife and Pastor Jason conspired to put together what they called a scavenger hunt. We're just, like, get together as a group of you and just go out and take a picture of this and do that. But now give this certificate away. Now engage with this. Pay for somebody's whatever. I said to somebody, how'd it go last night? They said, the workers at the pump house are getting some good tips from Freedom Center tonight. Bought their ice cream, loved on them. But every week, hear me, every week connections are being made. People, not every week, but, but many times are being saved. We've had people filled with the Holy Spirit. We've had people uh, repent of a lifetime of just unknowing what God's will is for their life and saying, I, I have been absolutely wrong. And again, I, I wait for, this to, that, for that person to share their testimony because it's one of the greatest testimonies I've ever heard in my life. So good things are happening. But, but is it scary? No. How many of you guys know that if you go out truly loving God and truly loving people, the worst that can happen is you go out truly loving God and truly loving people. You go out trying to get your identity as having converted somebody so you can stick a notch in your King James Bible, I got me one. You can come back not having gotten one. But if you walk out loving people, man, there's people everywhere to love. So I have seen little kids discern the will of God and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and obey four-year-olds. Two now, four-year-olds. The parents said, so what do you think we should do? And the four-year-old said, her right there. So they had a $50 gift card uh, to a gas station. How many guys, that'll get you four gallons now, so it's really good. So they, they walked, as they got closer, the mother of the child said, I know this girl, I went to school with her, and she's really going through a hard time. This is the perfect gift for the perfect person. They had a great engagement conversation. How many guys know four-year-olds can be led by the Holy Spirit? There's no Holy Spirit junior. There's no Holy Spirit light. You hear his voice or you don't. So today I want to talk about the one problem that we are hoping to fix. And it's not overcoming our fears. It's, we'll tell you about what it is. This guy, anybody know this guy? He built a log cabin in North Carolina. And he's, he's been around the world preaching. He's with Jesus now. And uh, Billy Graham was asked, as his influence was growing, he's meeting with foreign dignitaries. Every president from whoever on wanted his counsel. Uh, a, a globally known name, and uh, he was known for telling people about Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ was his one and only message. If you ever heard Billy Graham preach once, you heard every message Billy Graham ever preached because it was all about the gospel. That that's, was his, his happy hunting grounds, and so people by the millions came to faith. Matter of fact, just, just out of curiosity, anybody here, your faith story is somehow connected to that ministry? Can I see your hands? Look at that one. That's crazy. I love that. So the, the press came to him and said, you know, you're becoming a household name, great integrity, so forth. So with this platform that you have, is there a greater cause? Like, I, I know the whole Jesus thing, that's cool, but it, could, you, could, like, could you attack some other problems like racism, like, like disparity? Could you, could you go after some things like probably pre-global warming, but environmentalism and the rainforest and the Amazon? Like, could you, you know, indigenous people, everybody, could you do this? Could you, could you be helped? I said, do you really believe that what you're dealing with is, is like, you know, the, the biggest problem you could deal with is, is just people's sin? And Billy Graham's answer was succinct and brilliant. This is what he said. He said, you're right, that um, the sin is not man's biggest problem. 
Sin is man's only problem. And if we fix that, we'll fix so many of the other things you listed. Because it's, racism is sin. Destroying the planet that God gave us to steward is sin. You understand what I'm saying? If we fix this problem, we fix all kinds of problems. So today we're going to talk a little bit about understanding what sin really is, not to convict us and condemn us and make us feel bad, but if we go out to love people but we don't know what they're wrestling with and why they're wrestling with it, it makes us not as effective. Are you still with me? So look at this. Here's the first sin. Let's do an autopsy. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Can you hear that little... That little wisp, that little snaky. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Is it true that God's forbidding just about everything you look at? That, that your world is extraordinarily small? The way he planted this garden, you're not allowed to do anything in it? Is it true that, that following him, loving him, being in relationship with him is so constrictive that only a monk could possibly do this? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we can eat fruit from the trees all, all over the garden. But God did say... You must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And look at this. I underlined it. And you must not touch it. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, Eve has not yet been created for Adam. It is Adam and God. God gives Adam the instruction, you must not eat this. But he never says you must not touch it. I don't know where, but how many of you guys know that sometimes when you're telling someone to be careful, you add a little extra? Like, don't eat it. Matter of fact, just don't even touch it. How many of you guys have a, a two-year-old granddaughter? You know what I'm talking about. Like, don't grab the dog by the ears. Just remember, like, don't touch the dog. Well, God said, don't eat it. And somewhere in that translation, I guess this is the King Jim Assumption version, but I, I assume that he said, hey, don't even touch it. So now, hear me, we've got a, a lie being believed as if it's true. How many of you guys know that is the devil's playground? When something that isn't true is believed, he kind of has a, a checkmate on us. You must not touch it. Verse Chapter 2, verse 18, she is then created for Adam. They live together, and things are pretty good. And so he says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. See, what's happening is you believing what God has said is actually limiting you. You not being able to eat from these trees, it's limiting you. God, God is actually withholding something good from you. But your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took, she took some, and she ate it. How many of you guys wish Adam would have just, you know, been there to rescue her and be her savior? Well, he was. Her husband, who was there with her, how many of you guys know what's, what's greater, the, the sin of Eve or the silence of Adam? He knew better. And he sat there and watched her go through it. How many guys had a little brother? It says wet paint. Why don't you touch it to see if that's true? Right? Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. Anybody ever had that dream? Okay. It's third grade. Yeah, okay. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, oh crud, as he's walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called a man. Don't you love that God's initiating the renewal of this relationship? Where are you? He asked. And Adam goes, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, this is what God says to Adam, who told you you were naked? I made you the way you are. And now you know something that isn't true. And now the glory has departed and we've got a real problem. So here's the question. <clears throat> for us to consider this morning. What, what is the sin of Adam and Eve? I want to get to the heart of something today. So there's a legal root, but there's also an emotional root here. 
What is the sin of Adam and Eve? You say, well, it's not that they talk to the serpent, because how many guys know the serpent still talks today? I heard his voice. I'm in sin. Uh, my dad used to say, you know, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. They can stop them from building a nest in your hair. I'm talking about my thoughts, right? It's, it's not that they didn't quote God properly, although that did precipitate a real weakness. And it's not that they ate the fruit in some ways. So what, what is it? The root of the sin and the root of every sin is when we believe that God and his words are not to be trusted. It's very personal. That his words and who he is is inferior to others and that in truth, living for God is actually holding us back rather than propelling us forward. You get this? Anybody ever heard this? We don't do much of this anymore today. Everybody believes Christianity is a wonderful thing. The, the key objections to Christianity is the prohibitions of following Christ. Well, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't chew, and you can't run with girls that do. You got to get married before you have sex. There's financial issues. I mean, there's prayer. There's, I mean, following God is such a headache and such a hassle. I think I know a better way. How many guys know that's the first step to a lot of problems, right? So isn't there sin that they, they did what they were commanded not to do? And the answer is kind of yes and no. In a legal sense, eating that fruit when they were commanded not to cross the line. Do you see that? Do you see that? Okay, but understand this. There's more happening here. There's a relationship. There's not a law. God is their father. And for some period of time, they have walked with him in absolute, complete, what we would call heaven fellowship. Nothing was between their hearts and his hearts. There was no knowledge greater than who he was. There was no glory greater than his own. And he shared it with them as his children. And it's all perfect in a legal sense, they broke the law, but in a relational sense, there's something happening very differently. Hear this. Sin is much more than crossing a line. Are you getting this this morning? Sin is much more than crossing a line. Breaking a speed limit, it's 35, and you went 36, you cross the line. <laughs> Pull over, license and registration. I don't know why the cop is now an old-time Pentecostal preacher in my mind, but there's, there are some... There are some Correlations, I guess, that would stand. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just leave that alone for a while, right? But, but it's more than crossing a line. It's breaking a heart. When I break a speed limit, I don't break a heart. I break a law. But when I disobey my mom and I put myself in the danger she told me to stay out of, when my dad loves me enough to correct me and I do it anyway, I'm not just breaking a law Someone who loves me is being affected deeply by my wrong choices. They love me so much, but they can't live my life for me. And so in that, in that I can't live your life for you. You have a free will. You have to have a free will. Love is always going to be a choice. God did not create robots. He created sons and daughters with a free will. We have to choose him. It's not love if we don't choose to love. It's, if it's just law, if we have no free will. How many of you guys have ever prayed the prayer consciously or subconsciously? I wish God would just take away my free will so I could live perfectly and without any guilt or shame or even challenge. I could just be like him. But it doesn't work that way. God didn't create you to be a mechanical device by which he somehow derives glory like a toy maker. He's not a puppet master. He's a father. And he gave his children a free will just as he has a free will. And he gave them choices just as he has choices. And he gave them environments that they could choose or reject. I, this is going to sound strange to you, and it, and it probably is. I've never heard anybody share a story like this, but here it is. I think I remember my first sin. I don't remember my last one. It's become fairly common. But I remember my first one because it, it involved a Hot Wheels car. 
My, uh, my school, Eastover Elementary, somewhere between kindergarten and first grade, my parents divorced early in second grade, so it was, it was probably first grade or kindergarten. We're out on the playground. Remember those big, giant, steel, chrome slides? They're about a bazillion degrees on a summer day, and the first kid went down, and he got up with blisters, and it was wonderful because somehow his keister cooled it off for your keister, and everybody was happy. How many of you guys remember when playgrounds didn't have mulch? They had rocks. Are you with me? Come on. How many of you guys broke something on a playground? Hallelujah. Thank you. God bless America. All right. So I, I remember we had put dirt on that for some reason, and I really wanted that car. I asked him to play with it, and he said no, because he was selfish. It was his sin. And he, we put dirt on the slide, I think, to cool it off or something, or maybe to make a slide faster, because we're kids and we don't do laundry. Dirt was fun. And I remember he left the car on the dirt at the end of the slide. And okay, Reese, it's over. Time to go back to class. Everybody come back in again. I'm five years old. And he walked away from that. I looked at the car. I looked at him. I realized he's not taking it with him. And I, and I had, as a master thief, I grabbed the car. I looked around. And I put it in my pocket. He realized, once he got to the room, I don't have my car. Hey, teacher, can I go back to the playground? She, he went out with the teacher's aide. They couldn't find it. They came back in. Has anybody seen Billy's car? It's a, it's a blue Hot Wheels. It's, it's got four wheels. It says Hot Wheels on the side. It looks like the Monster Mobile or whatever, and, and it's missing. Anybody seen it? Oh, I haven't seen it. Now, stealing has, like coveting has become stealing. Stealing has become lying. You see that? When it was all over with, I went home, and I had it in my pocket, and I could feel it. And I, you say, what do you mean feel it? I could feel my heart. I could feel something in me had changed when I coveted it. Something changed when I crossed the line and stole it. Something changed when I lied about it. I brought it home. I'm playing with it. My mom said, where'd you get that, Jimmy? I said, oh, my friend Billy gave it to me in school. It came out of me like I was born to lie, like, like I had a nature, like a sin nature. My mother didn't teach me how to lie. My brother's taught me how to lie well, but they didn't teach me how to lie the first time. And what happened was I lied to her, and I don't know whatever happened to that thing, but I, I want you, but think of this. What, if my father ever found out, the teacher called and came to the thing, searched my room, found the car, and held it up, and my father looked at me, would he be more upset at me that I stole, or would he be more upset at me that that, that had affected our relationship because I'd lied? I'd, he couldn't trust me? that I had done something wrong. Understand what I'm saying, guys. Sin, is, yes, it is crossing a line. It is breaking a law, but it's a lot more than that. See, my father worked at Ford Motor Company, and he had landscaped yards. We had a multi-acre estate in Bloomfield Hills, an equestrian property with a horse next door. We had a swimming pool. We had a basement, and we all had our own pair of roller skates. We had a big slot car machine down there that, you know, he had cars that looked like real cars, and then we'd go to Tiny Tim's uh, hobby shop and on Woodward Avenue, and we'd get all of our things, or it wasn't Woodward, it doesn't matter, somewhere in Detroit, and we get all our stuff. I had toys galore, but I didn't have the one toy. And so my father, who'd worked so hard, provided so much he, he said, you can do anything in here, but don't steal. What was the one thing I did? And, and in doing it, I didn't just break a rule. Are you with me? You hear what I'm saying? I didn't just break a rule. I broke a heart. Now, he never found out about it, thank God, because he never let me forget it. But I, I am glad. I was believing that somehow my father's provision was inadequate, inadequate, and somehow he was keeping something from me, something good, like a car, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't lose a religion, guys. They lost a relationship. And the same is true to some extent today, is it not? There's a part of me that dies when I give in to things that bring death. And if you don't know Jesus at all, there's a part of you that is dead and has been dead since you stole your first car or you committed your first sin, told your first lie. Just, I'm just curious. By a show of hands, anybody here, have you, have you ever lied just so I feel a bit better about myself? you ever lied? Okay. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, you know what that makes you? 
So it isn't like, yeah, man, really bad people and really bad circumstances. No, I, I don't think it matters what the circumstances are. Matter of fact, understand this. If we're going to restore this relationship, we've got to deal with this one problem. Man's biggest problem, man's only problem. What do we do with sin? How do we, how do we restore a relationship broken when it was us that did it? Look at this. All have sinned. All have sinned. Fallen short of the glory of God. Do you guys believe that? Do you see that? How many guys, you didn't raise your hand, but like, how, how many guys ever stolen something? Because you really wanted it more than the person I had it. You stole it. But if you didn't raise your hand, I mean, how can I believe you? You just told me you're a liar like two minutes ago, right? Coveting and lusting and lying and fear and all these things that like all have sinned. I don't think anybody, I used to be like, well, I don't, I'm a good person. It's like, but are you a perfect person? Anybody that says, yes, I'm a perfect person, their sin is arrogance. I, I'm sorry, I'm better than you. I wouldn't debate that. I know me. <laughs> I don't know you. I assume, I mean, to my knowledge, I'm the guiltiest person I know, and I'm most grateful for the, for the mercy of God because I know what I am, and I know what he's making me into by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So some sins certainly are more destructive than other sins, but all sins, all sins are enough to break the heart of a holy God. And when sin occurs, a covenant, just like in the Garden of Eden, their covenant is broken and things have to change. Now, how can something that God hates so much, that is sin, now abide in someone that he loves so much, that is mankind? Like, what is he going to do? If all have sinned and God hates sin because it destroys what he loves, what is God going to do about this? And it says this in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. And I think we'd agree to that. And, and you say, well, I don't know if the wages of sin is death, but, but listen, is your, is your, do you have more life if you, if you cheat on your spouse or less life? More peace, more joy, or less peace, less joy? When, when you forget about God's ordinances about finances and you just bar yourself into oblivion, are you happier as a slave to debt or are you happier as a free person living in faith? So we would understand, even from our limited perspective, that the wages of sin, when we do what is wrong, when we move ourselves outside God's blessings, you guys still here? You got to look on your face like, I'm in church, he's talking about sin. I am. I am. Because we got to do something about this. And the people we're reaching on Thursday nights and our family members, we're dealing with one problem. It's not the way they vote. It said a, a relationship has been severed because of choices we've made. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift, everybody say gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What does Paul mean by gift? And we find this in Romans chapter 5. He says, you see it just the right time. While we were still what? Powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. I qualify. I am powerless without Jesus, and I am ungodly. He died for the powerless and ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person. You know, that somebody's taking a shot at the, the Pope or Mother Teresa, you might say, well, let me jump in front of that bullet because they're important, right? Very, although someone for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. We see this occasionally when a grenade gets thrown in combat and five guys are going to get blown up and one guy says, I, and he throws himself on that grenade and he saves his buddies because in his eyes they're, they're good and he doesn't want them to suffer. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Hear me. While we were still sinners, somebody read that last line. Come on. Christ died for, worship team, join me if you would. Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Try to grasp this. I, I try to put it into one sentence, and I, it's impossible, but here's my take at it. The thought of forever without you was unthinkable to God. So he did the unimaginable and sacrificed Jesus to forgive the unforgivable. 
<laughs> if, if I could summarize what, what took place, God imagines a forever and he looks around and his children are missing. How many guys know if you've ever read someplace, you look around, your kids are missing? What's that first thought? Where are my children? He goes so far as to talk about the 99 versus the one, the one sheep that wanders off, the one lost coin, the one prodigal son and the parables of Jesus where he tries to help us understand that there is such a beautiful heart of God towards the lost world. It's, it's not like I judge you because I can and I want to. It's like we, God is doing everything he can to help people understand his love and the power of the blood of Jesus to redeem them, buy them back out of the slavery to which we sold ourselves as mankind. Do you see that? Too many big words. Let me, let me try it again. Let me try it again. A good father will rush into a burning building to save his child. A great father will rush into a burning building, wrap himself around that child so the child doesn't have to die alone. Jesus dying did not save everybody. There are people that Jesus died for that will die without him. But there are those that understand that he's not trying to restore some Christianity or some morality or some Judeo-Christian ethic or some sort of biblical, you know, guideline. What God is trying to do is say to a world that doesn't know, that has wandered off, that is lost, I choose you, I love you, I'm coming for you. I sent my son to pay the debt that you alone owe for the Hot Wheels car. And you alone owe for every sin beyond that all of the righteous requirement of satisfying a perfect law if that perfect law is placed upon me and I have to pay for it then the wages of sin is what so Jesus says you know what instead of the whole world dying what if I died for the whole world and I'm paraphrasing because the father turns to the son the son obeys the father and it wasn't a joy to do it He's sweating drops of blood. He's crying out in prayer, let this cup pass from me. Jesus isn't looking forward to dying for mankind. The pain of it, the horror of it, the, the terror of it, the, the nails, the whip, the spear, the mocking, the nakedness, the shame. And, it, and at any point, Paul says he could have called 10,000 angels legions they would have understood legions to be like the the marching hordes of rome that would come and just destroy what was ever in their path well-trained well-armored units well-led people that lived as warriors and he said at any time he could have called not not uh, you know ten thousand men he said i called ten thousand angels how many of you know that it only takes about one angel to destroy ten thousand men Read the Passover story. You can see what an angel can do on a, on a light night. He could have called legions of angels and in doing so interrupted the process. It was his right to do so. He wasn't dying because he was being punished. He was dying to avoid us being punished. He's taking a punishment, our punishment for us. And all the sins of the world are laid upon the body of the Son of God. And he cries out, my God, my God. God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting an Old Testament prophetic verse about what the Messiah would have to do and suffer. We, that last temptation, I feel like even God's not with me. It hurts so bad. It's so unfair. It's so wrong. It's so, I'm, ah, but my God, my God, even he's praying in agony to his God. And he's letting us know that if we ever feel that way, we serve a Savior who has felt that way before us. And he holds on to that cross, and that cross holds on to him. 
and the angels never come because he never calls them. They're ready. Man, if that was your kid, wouldn't you want to beat up everything that just beat him up? Angels are ready. Just say the word, man. We'll destroy the whole thing and start over again. But Jesus stays on the cross because of a moment just like this one. That maybe sometime, a couple thousand years from now, there'll be a room full of people that, that remember their first sin. Or maybe they remember their last sin. Or maybe they're so weighed down because they thought that God was keeping something from them because they thought that God's word was somehow similar to other philosophies and other thoughts and other political persuasions. Like, and, but in this thought that we would choose him and restore relationship, he wanted to make sure that the price was paid, that all that would be left is for us to say, I trust that and I trust you. For all who believe shall have everlasting life. What got mankind here was believing, what got mankind here was believing God and his words were not to be trusted, inferior to others, holding us back from a better life. And what gets us back into right relationship with God is trusting him and embracing the superior pleasures of his kingdom and living an abundant life in full relationship. God's not keeping something from you. Christianity is not a burden. Fasting, praying. If you understand relationship, I just, like, I want to go on vacation with my wife. I don't want to go on vacation. I want to mow the grass with my wife because there's a relationship. I don't care what I do. I just want to make sure Dina's with me. Do you get that? My children, my, my, my um, uh, not adopted, my in-law children, my, my grandchildren. Come on, somebody, right? I, it isn't about whether they mowed the grass or not. It's a, if there was a severed relationship, I would die to restore it. And God has done everything for mankind that, that can be done. And now the ball's in your court to trust, to believe, to repent, to change the course of your life. And you thought, well, I, I believe the Bible, but it says this about this social issue. And I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I, I believe the Bible. I believe God. But it says, but the history of Christianity really has this frailty, this this black spot on it. I, I believe it. But understand this. The gospel, and you have to hear this. You guys still doing good? If the gospel doesn't offend you at some point, it probably isn't the gospel. There are cultures all over the world that are completely different. There's a culture in the Amazon that when they read the gospel, you know who their hero is? It's not Jesus. It's Judas. Because in their culture, deceiving somebody and getting away with it, the, the greater the deceiver, the, the greater the person can deceive the leader, the greater the person is. Well, they're offended by the fact that Judas goes out and commits suicide. He's not blessed. He's not honored for that. He's judged for that. There are, there are, there are places where asking for forgiveness, you know, I'm sorry, I, I repent, you know, like the honor, shame cultures. You understand that the Western culture just doesn't make any sense to the Eastern culture and, and vice versa. So at some point, the gospel of the kingdom and the culture of the king will offend you. But just because I don't understand God doesn't mean he isn't God. I would question a God that I do understand. I can understand idolatry because I made it. And if your God would never say something you wouldn't say, but never do something you wouldn't do and believes everything that you believe? Can I, can I just stop and say, maybe you've got a wonderful, idolatrous religion, but if Jesus hasn't offended you, I would look and see if you're following Jesus. So I can fix this. I got this. No, you can't. This is me. It's just who I am. No, it isn't. I, I get the right to choose my... Yes, you do. And all roads lead to heaven. No, all roads lead to God, but some will stand before him in judgment and some will stand before him in glory. So what's the difference between those two? It's simple. 
We, we choose with our free will to give our lives all the yesterdays for all of his tomorrows. We give him our sin and he gives us his mercy. And if you can't do that, if you have to be God, you can't have a relationship with God. You still here? Good. So let's, let's do this. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, whatever words that have been spoken today that can help somebody understand the truth of the greatest story ever told, then I pray that in these closing moments before this closing song, God, we would, we would find ourselves, God, standing before you saying whatever needs to be said. Some of us need to say, I trust you because we haven't been very good at trusting you. Some of us need to say we're sorry for everything, every word, every deed, everything. We need, we need to cry out for a new beginning and a fresh start. Some of us, God, need to just renew that first love with you today. We've grown cold. We've lost our, our way, gotten involved in all these other lesser issues and forgotten about our neighbors, forgotten about the shortness of time, forgotten about the length of eternity. We've misplaced these, these elemental truths, God, that keep us out of the dirt and the mud and the silly keep us on target and keep us on task. We have a life to give back to you. Whatever the need is today, God, but there's a need for mercy, we now, come on, right now, ask you for mercy. God, forgive me. How many, just by a show of hands, you need the mercy of God today. Let me see your hands. I mean, in a fresh way. We all need it, but I need, I need God to forgive something today. I, I want to be born again. I need, I need to kind of restate some things. I've been kind of wandering away, and today I'm not wandering anymore. I'm, I'm not even wondering. I am running back to the mercy of God. Your, your commandments are not heavy and grievous and, and, and a terrible. Like, I, I want to obey every word because in your commandments, there's life. You would not command me to do something that would bring death. You would only command me to that which brings life. So Father, today we give you us. Here is our offering. This is who we are. The wages of sin separates us from life, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord, our sovereign, our master, our healer, if we need healing today, our teacher, if we need knowledge today, God, we, we, we do not want to be in this inflamed, passionate, immature, shallow Christianity. We want to know who our creator is. We want to know who we are. We want you to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and send us to the nations to deal with mankind's only problem, God. So when we talk to people downtown, it's not, not to convict them of a sin, it's to let them know there's a savior from sin. We're not here to point our finger and judge. We're here to point our finger to heaven and tell people to run for their life towards their savior, God. There's one problem, one problem. Lots of defenses for it, but there's only one problem. God, you have dealt with that problem so thoroughly through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and, and defeating death, hell, and the grave. Nice touch. Amazing. The firstborn of many sons, firstborn of many daughters, the firstborn of all who would follow you to come out of the grave and have eternal life, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. We trust you now. We trust you now. We trust you now. We trust you now. Just wait for a second. I... We trust you now, God. We trust you now, Jesus. Father, I, uh, I just pause in this moment right now, God. I feel like you're speaking to people, so speak to them. 
where there's lethargy and this is kind of a bored moment where minds are wandering and I want to get out to the lake. God, stop that. Speak to your sons. Speak to your daughters. There's people under great conviction to the place of condemnation. I just, I have to feel so painfully filthy in order for me to even want to be right. God, break that stupidity. That's, that's not from you. Condemnation is not from, from you. The spirit of fear we've been delivered from. We now walk as children learning how to walk with a loving father who has us by the hand. Where our faith has been so small, so limited. We've been afraid to ask for people to be healed. We've been afraid to ask for people to be filled with the Spirit. We, well, what if it doesn't happen? God, today, deliver us. Deliver us from limited thinking, God. And tap us into the unlimited resource of heaven in Jesus' name. There is more, church. There is more, there is more, there is more. Would you stand your feet all over this room? These altars will be open um, for a variety of reasons. You're like, you know what, I'd, I'd like to just come and kneel. I'd like to be prayed for. I just want to step out from my normal and, and have a place to just be with the Lord. How many guys, I, I don't even know how to put words to it. I, forgive me, I wish I had a clearer picture and I'd use words to describe it. I just, there's a, there's a heaviness, but it's not a bad heaviness. Do you feel that too? There's a weight. That's a bit, there's a weight to these words today. And I just, I, I wish I had one more thing to say, but I don't have it. So, Let's worship for a while and see what the Lord does. But if you need time and space, here's some space, here's some time. You say, I'm, I'm done, I'm going to make it to the lake. Don't, don't miss what God's about to do. I think God's going to do something.